Well, hello everyone. This is Carrie Beck with Homeschool Coffee Break, where we help moms go from overwhelmed to knowing they are doing the right activities and having confidence in their homeschool. Today, y'all are in for a treat because I get to talk to my friend Amy Sloan of Humility and Doxology. Welcome, Amy. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Carrie. It's fun to be on this side of the mic. <laughs> yes, see, Amy has a podcast y'all need. It's Homeschool Conversations with Humility and Doxology. So y'all need to go check that out as well. And she was so kind to let me be a guest last summer. And now that I'm finally starting to do some interviews for my own podcast, I wanted to make sure that I reached out to the people that were kind to me last summer. So thanks for doing that. I really appreciate that last summer. It was great. Um, well, let's, uh, we're going to dive into some homeschooling topics, but before we do that, why don't you just tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your family? Sure. So like you said, my name is Amy and I am a second generation homeschooling mom of five. So I was homeschooled all the way through high school graduation. And now my oldest son is, is about to graduate. Uh, so we have five kids. The oldest is a senior and then three girls, uh, 15 12 and 10. And then our youngest son is about to turn eight. And we follow a restfully classical approach. We uh, love good books and beautiful memory work and resting in the grace of God in our homeschool. So it has been an adventure and a joy. That's so exciting. It's so exciting to see people that were homeschooled and continuing to do that. And you're like, right on the edge. I remember when my oldest graduated, I was like, oh my goodness, I feel so old. So then they got married and then they had babies. I really feel old. So, um, okay. So the name of your um, website or your business is Humility and Doxology. Can you tell our listeners sort of where that came from? So it's kind of funny because back, oh, five, six years ago now, when I started the blog, I did it completely on a whim. I had always said I was never going to start a blog online. Um, and just one day in God's providence in the middle of the night, I just started it. And, you know, I'm thinking, what, sh what should I call this new adventure? And immediately what came to mind were the two words I always used with my own kids to tell them what were my goals for their education. And that was humility and doxology. They had heard me say those words over and over again. And I thought, well, that makes a pretty good uh, blog title. So what I mean by that is I really am convinced that the best education is the one that leads us to a lower view of ourself and a higher view of God, that we grow in, in wisdom, which the Bible teaches is the fear of the Lord, uh, and not in some sort of puffed up, look at me, I know so much, I'm homeschooled, and I'm really great. So that's sort of the humility part is really seeing who God is and his beauty. And then the doxology. Oh, as we as we learn and and explore God's world, we should be led to wonder and delight and praise. And that's where the doxology comes from. So I think those words, you know, they go with whatever your homeschool philosophy is. People, you know, follow lots of different approaches to homeschooling. And I don't think there's just one right, uh, one right way to do it. But as, as Christian homeschoolers, whatever we do ought to lead us towards love of God and praise and wonder. That is so beautiful. And I really appreciate you saying humility, especially because I think there are a lot of homeschoolers that 
excuse me, can be a little judgmental and they just think, well, I'm doing the best education and all you other people are doing the wrong education or something. And yet I do think we need to give um, people grace and let, I mean, we need to humble ourselves. And I guess I learned this when we came home from Idaho, we were in Idaho for four years. So my husband could go to seminary and the only one still in high school was my son. He was going into 10th grade and I wanted to keep homeschooling. And they, um, he wanted to go to the private Christian school, play football and basketball. And he loved sports. I understood that, but it took all summer for God to change my heart. And I will tell you a quick story. Then we're going to get back. But we went in a week ahead of time and it said, okay, we're going to put your name on the waiting list. There's no room in your class. And so we did. And I walked in, I said, here's this application. She said, just a second, let me look at something. And she said, um, oh, there's a spot. Someone dropped out last night. And I just thought, okay, God, that just hit me over the head. And it made me realize that, and it was a, it was a perfect place for him. He had male teachers, male coaches, three of his three accountability friends are from that school and he is 30 years old and still keeps up with them. So I say that we need to make sure that we are humble and that's in all areas of life, but I appreciate you saying something about homeschooling in that area. Yeah. And you know, what you just brought up, I think dovetails so well with this idea as well, because a lot of times as homeschool moms, especially we have a tendency to really find our identity in homeschooling and in the quote unquote results that we will get out of it. Um, I like to talk about how homeschooling is not a vending machine. You know, you don't push in the right buttons and get out a result. And it's really easy for us to have pride, let alone like our kids, but us to have this idea that somehow if we just homeschool right, if we could somehow choose the right curriculum and be the perfect mom, that somehow we would get out this perfect little robot child. And that's just not true. God has been very gracious to uh, humiliate as well as humble me many times over the years. And so I'm more and more convinced that I have to look to him and the work of the spirit in my kids' lives, not in some like magical ability I have to be the perfect homeschool mom as if, I mean, that, that ship sailed a long time ago. <laughs> and that is so true, you know, and I just think, yeah, I really appreciate you saying that they, um, kids, Kids are not going to change just by what we do. God's the only one that's going to change me and change them. And I know in the last few weeks, I mean, I've dealt with pride all my life. That's just my big sin. And especially the last few weeks, just humbling, going, God, just prune that pride out of me. I want to surrender my will to you. So huh, it's a lifelong journey, but... <laughs> All right, so let's um, let's start with some planning ideas. Could you give some of our listeners just a big picture idea of how you plan homeschooling or what your view of that is? Yes, so lots of homeschool moms can start thinking about the next school year. They get all their beautiful new books, you know, all the boxes come and they lay them all out and they're shiny and they're like, oh man, this is going to be great. We are going to do all of it. And they create this intricate plan, you know, week by week, all the page numbers lined up. And then, uh, you know, a week or two into the school year, somebody gets sick the car breaks down, the toddler has a big accident right in the middle of the living room, right? And suddenly your beautiful plans are completely destroyed right there at the beginning of the year. I personally hate the feeling of being behind or not like measuring up to like something I've set for myself. 
So I have found that big picture homeschool planning enables me to combine flexibility with order and self-control and discipline. So both of those uh, values are really important to our family. Uh, we're we're a pretty uh, we're a pretty disciplined kind of orderly family, but we are able to do it in a way that's also flexible and goes with the flow. So how do I do this? Um, I do not write out page numbers <laughs> per week per day because it's just too easy to get behind. Instead, um, at the beginning of the school year, you know, back in the summer when I'm planning, I look at all of my goals and I think, okay, what will done look like? When I get to the end of the homeschool year, I will feel like we have been successful if what things have been accomplished. Generally, it's not going to be specific page numbers in the textbook, although sometimes it may be, but there may be skills I want my children to have learned or even character things I want to be able to focus on. So I start with sort of those big picture goals, and then I create a weekly flow that we can follow systematically through the year. Everyone knows what's expected of them, but instead of it being specific page numbers, it might be something like work on math for 45 minutes every day. That gives you a lot of flexibility. If you're struggling with something, you know, okay, at the end of 45 minutes, I'll be done for the day. Did you finish the chapter? No, that's okay. That wasn't the goal for the day, right? Our goal is to actually learn and understand, to be consistent. Again, that goes with that like self-control. I want them to be consistent, but also to not be stressed out by some artificial number of problems they have to finish every day. And different children, of course, different years, different subjects, it will look more or less flexible um, on our weekly on our weekly list. But that's sort of in a in a summary form, that's what big picture homeschool planning is in our family. I've, I've actually done a whole YouTube video series on it. So it's hard to summarize it all real quickly. It really is. I really thank you for that because I feel like moms are so consumed by finishing a textbook. I was a public school teacher for six years and I tell them for six years, I never finished a textbook. Okay. And we compare ourselves and think this school teacher's doing all this stuff. And really I never finished one. And the other thing, I don't know how you handle it, but like if we don't finish, let's say algebra one, where I was Labor Day to Memorial Day, I believe in a rest in the summer or whenever we need breaks all the time. But that didn't mean we stopped learning. But if we weren't finished with algebra one in Memorial Day, we just picked right up wherever it was. And to be honest, my kids really did not forget that much. There may be a week or two of review, but they could pretty much pick up. So I just love what you're saying because it frees the mom from this. I don't know, something that's choking their love of learning, their love of homeschooling and everything out of them. I so. think it also really helps develop independence in your students in an appropriate way. Of course, these are skills you're building. You're not, you know, throwing all the books at the second grader and expecting them to know how to be an independent learner. But say I have something on a weekly checklist and it says something like by the end of the week, you need three reading journal pages. Those are essentially written narrations or copy work that I require. They can choose when to do that. Some of my children will always wait until Friday, and now they have three reading journals they have to finish. And that's a choice they make. But if they spread it out, you know, through the week or do it all early, they're they're also learning how to gauge their time. 
they get to decide, make some of those decisions. And I think in that appropriate way, giving children a little bit of ownership over their time really helps them then when they're in high school and they're having to manage a lot more independently, especially if they're taking outside classes. So true. And, you know, I'm all about Christian leadership education and about letting your kids take leadership or ownership in their school. And what you're saying is exactly in line with that, because otherwise they just grow up and they can't think for themselves. They can't do anything for themselves. My middle daughter, Gentry, is like, Mom, thank you so much for everything you did in high school. I was so much more well prepared than any of my friends when I went to college. And I think it was just what we did. And same thing okay, we all read together. Now you go off and do your work for whatever time, especially in high school. And little kids, I would have to sit with them and like teach them how to read or whatever we were doing. So right. uh, that's awesome. Another thing I know you have, and I just, I'm excited to hear this because I think it's so important, is the idea of memory work. And I think, I just think it's a, a something that we have forgotten. And with the classical method, that's usually where we need to begin. So tell me sort of how you handle memory work and then how do you make it beautiful? Yeah, so I had all these ideals uh, of all the things I wanted to memorize with my kids. And a few years in, I just found that we would get to our math. We would, you know, get to the reading. We would do those sort of like quote unquote important things. And then I was tired. The kids were tired. You know, everyone's little at that point. And all those beautiful things, the poetry, the extensive scripture memory, you know, the Shakespeare, the speeches, like these things that I was so excited. These were my ideals. I couldn't figure out how to bring them into the reality of my day. But when I started hearing about the concept of morning time or a morning basket, which now is ubiquitous, you know, everybody talks about it, but it was relatively new. I, I don't know, like what was that 10 years ago or so? I was like, I'm allowed to do it first. This is so exciting. I'm like, I get to do the fun part first. And it was transformative in our homeschool. Just starting the day in that delightful way, something we can all do together has, it's really become something so valuable. We just love it. So every month I pick out either poetry or uh, a bit of Shakespeare, or uh, right now we're working on Patrick Henry's Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death speech. I have scripture that we work on, a hymn, like one hymn or psalm a month. And we just read these things together. It's very, very simple. We we literally just read it together. But over time, kind of like when you read that picture book over and over and over, it's amazing how that really sinks into your, into your heart. And so I think it for, for our family, it has just been so much more important to prioritize those things that are lasting of of eternal value that are true and beautiful than to focus on memorizing lists of facts. You know, we just have limited time and energy. And so that's where I've put our energy is into those, those beautiful bits of memory work. Um, sometimes I joke that, you know, if they're ever in a time of great despair or something like that, knowing the date of a battle is probably not going to comfort them very much, but being able to recite death, be not proud by John Donne that that's going to matter in that moment or having a beautiful psalm or hymn that they can sing. That's what I want them to hide in their heart right now. That is so cool. We did very similar things and I called it family time back when we did it 
And the reason I started with it is the first year I homeschooled, I would do my read aloud after lunch right here at this table. And after lunch, I don't know how you are, but I would start falling asleep and have to hand the book off to one of my girls. And I thought, what am I modeling? That reading is boring. We're going to rethink this. And so we did. I moved it to the beginning of the day. And then we added poetry and art and music and hymns because our church didn't sing hymns, the one we were going to at the time. So it was whatever was going on, you know, that was important at that time. But it was 30 minutes of reading aloud, 30 minutes of whatever it was. Um, because I do think we need to start things out at whatever we start the beginning of the day is how we're going to, how the day will progress usually. So very true. So good. Um, okay. So tell me about how you handle, you, you mentioned textbooks, but I don't know that you use those with history. So how do you go through history? And hey, guys, I'm just going to tell you, this is may sound like, but this is sort of a hodgepodge of topics but I just want y'all to know these are so important. And sometimes it's these practical ideas that you can draw from. And I just love what Amy's sharing because it are they are bite-sized ideas that you can actually put into practice this week. So go ahead and tell us about how what you do with history. Yeah, I hope any homeschool parent listening is, is being able to take some actionable step. Like we have the ideas and those are important. I, I sometimes can live in the world of ideas but also to be able to apply them practically. And so here, one that I find eminently practical and philosophical is textbook free history. Um, I, like I mentioned earlier, I was homeschooled myself and history was my favorite. My parents definitely uh, just gave us a love for history. We would stop at every little historic marker along the way. Our family vacations were generally basically field trips and we would read tons and tons of good books. And so I talk to a lot of my contemporaries now and they tell me they hated history. It's so boring. It was just dull. They would just have to fill out lists of dates and dead people. And I'm so sad for them, but also it seems so confusing. I'm like, history is like an adventure story. Um, and so to be able to approach it that way uh, with my own kids has been just a delight. There's so many wonderful, wonderful books to, to really also be able to see that history is about real people, to humanize the people of the past, to uh, listen to them with humility, dare I say, mm -hmm. and um, to recognize our own humanity in them. It can be easy to have this pride that, wow, we know so much better than the people in the past. We would never do things like that. But as you study all of history, you see the same human sins and tendencies coming up again and again. Each generation has its own blind spots. So I think it's just, it's both delightful and also um, really grows a humility and recognizing the humanity of man. So if someone wanted to do this, if someone wanted to teach history without textbooks, um, how would they go about finding books or how, how would you uh, encourage them to get started? Well, I would encourage you to find a trusted source or sources that you can go to their book lists. Um, I will plug my own. It's one of my favorite things to do. I have lots of, of blog posts just up for free with resources of good books, memory work that can be associated with them. I have a textbook free history masterclass as well. But yeah, just, you know, whoever uh, you trust, a good source, um, 
even you can sometimes look at online curriculum and see books they recommend for certain time periods of history. And then you don't have to spend a whole lot of money. You know, the library or other friends, we're constantly sharing books with one another, going to those used bookstores and library sales, you know, like a typical homeschool mom, um, and just filling your home with good books. I do like to start with some sort of core or spine that's nonfiction. I think that's really important alongside the historical fiction. And so just two series I can mention right now that I really recommend. It's the Famous Men of Greece, the Famous Men of Rome books for ancient times. And then I love Genevieve Foster's books. Uh, hers start with Caesar Augustus. And then right now I'm reading uh, The World of Abraham Lincoln to my kids in our in our morning history time. So do you read the spine book out loud? Yes, that I generally read the nonfiction spine out loud. Right now, it's just my younger three. My high schoolers have some other things they're working on. And then I'll assign independent reading to supplement that, that joint reading that we're doing together. So that way we can all be studying the same time period, even though I have, you know, second grade to high school. But um, they can then dive more deeply into the topics depending on their age and maturity. That makes sense. I really like that. Yeah, that was one of my goals when I started homeschooling was we're going to read real books because I was a public school teacher. And even the I mean, you just got little chopped up things and you never had a whole flow. And who would be interested in this boring textbook anyway? So um, I was like, I could make my own choices. I'm going to do this. And I love the library. Oh, those librarians, they knew us quite well because we were there all the time. So yeah. Um, I know you mentioned this at the beginning, something called um, vending machines or kids are not vending machines. Could you explain a little bit about what you mean by that? Yeah, you know, I saw a lot when I was growing up in the homeschool community, this desire or this belief that if we homeschooled our kids, that that was going to save them, that this was a thing we could do to like force a good outcome. And I think we mentioned earlier too, you know, the pride that can crop up um, in our hearts as homeschool moms, a desire to find our identity there in what we're doing, a, a fear that, am I doing enough? I think it comes out a lot in worry and anxiety. Am I letting down my kids? Are they going to be okay? I, I've made a mistake or, you know, I, I'm not sure, am I doing enough? And there's, there's this anxiety and it's because we believe that if we could just push the right buttons, we would get out, you know, the Diet Coke from the bottom of the vending machine. And instead, I think that it's really important for us to rest in the work that Jesus has already done for us. We, we know that Jesus died for us, right? He died to pay for our sins, but sometimes we forget that he also lived for us. So he lived this perfect life. And so his obedience, when our heavenly father looks at us in our homeschools, all that mess, right? It's covered by the righteousness of Christ. So to be able to rest in what he's done, to know that God is already perfectly pleased with me, not because I've done it all right, but because Jesus has, um, that can really free me up as a homeschool mom to then walk in obedience. Okay. I can repent. I can trust that the Lord is, uh, loves my kids way more than I do. And he's already done all the work necessary. And so then I can be free 
and joyful as I, as I walk in faith without all that, like, oh no, am I going to do enough? Maybe that's just me. <laughs> I still, I still go there. My, my brain, right. We go there and we're like, no, I believe help my unbelief, right. Reorient. That's so good. So when those thoughts creep into your mind, because I know I have those little reels going on and on, it may not be about homeschooling since I'm not doing that now, but there's always some kind of reel going on in my mind that's negative. Um, how do you handle that? Because we do want peace. And God says he will give us peace that passes all understanding. Um, do you have anything that maybe you do particularly? I think it's really easy to think a lot about my worries or worry a lot about them. And then I feel like I've done something and I haven't actually. So I am trying to be better more and more. My husband is really good about this. Well, I'll be going off about something. He'll just be like, let's stop. We're going to pray right now. And the more I can actually stop the worry and the crazy thoughts and just, okay, I'm going to take those, cast them on the Lord and pray. Uh, even if it's a quick moment, cause you're with a kid call those a Nehemiah prayer, right? He's like doing the drink for the King. And he's like, why are you sad? And it says he prayed and then he answers the King. So that had to be a pretty quick prayer. Right. Um, so just trying to take those, the Lord is not afraid of our questions or our worries. You read the Psalms, right? <laughs> those are some, some intense, uh, intense worries and thoughts and questions. Um, so, but to take them to the Lord. I think prayer is the single most important thing we can do alongside being in the word of God every day and worshiping with God's people on the Lord's day. And those is, are kind of simple, right? That's like the basic answer. It's not a magic formula, but that's where the Lord meets us. I know. I feel like I'm just, uh, I just like repeat everything and I'll be talking to the homeschool moms and I'm just like, well, the first thing you need to do, y'all know what I'm going to say is pray. Okay. If you've got this, whatever issue. But it really is true. And I wished I had pr I prayed more when the kids were at home. It wasn't that I didn't pray. I just feel like I wished I had focused a little bit more on that as well. Also really appreciate, it's like we have to pay attention to our thoughts and catch our thoughts. And I will say for me, I catch those thoughts a lot more quickly than I did even seven or 10 years ago. And so I think once you catch it, and you pay attention, then you can take that thought and give it over to God. So that's so good. And you mentioned the Psalms. Oh my gosh, David. I mean, like I had someone say, I think he was the first, what did they call him? Bipolar or ADHD? Because I mean, on one moment he is praising God and he's like, oh, woe is me, you know? And he's, he's so honest. And why wouldn't we be honest with God? Because he already knows what we're thinking. So that is so... Oh, Go ahead. I, I was just going to say the Psalms also are great to sing. You can get a metrical Psalter where it's set to common tunes. You probably know already from, from the hymnal and then sing God's words back to him. It's we, we often do that in our family devotions and it's, it's really of, of benefit. That's so good. I know there's, and there's also um, some ones like hide them in your heart or something like that for little kids mm -hmm. um but i love the psalms as well i'm with you um i think we have gotten away our modern christianity and i'm not saying there's not some good songs there but we've gotten away from i mean the psalms were the songs they sang if you look at the 130s or something it's like they're singing those songs into jerusalem as they went each year so Hey, um, if people want to um, touch base with you, how's, what's the best way to touch base? You can find me at humilityanddoxology.com. 
I'm also humility and doxology on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. And then if you're a podcast listener, which you are because you're listening to this one, you can find homeschool conversations with humility and doxology uh, wherever you get your podcasts. All right. That's excellent. We'll have, that should all be written in the show notes with this podcast. So we'll have all of that written down. Amy, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. I really appreciate you and just the great ideas and um, strategies, I guess, tips that you have shared with our moms today. Thank you for having me, Carrie. It's been fun. All right. This is Carrie back with Homeschool Coffee Break. <laughs>